It's Friday, February the 3rd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darach, a British journalist based in The Hague, and with me in Delft today is Paul Peters, a master's student in civil engineering with an encyclopedic knowledge of Dutch politics. The third regular member of our team, Molly Quell, isn't here today uh, because she's away skiing, although as we'll hear shortly, she didn't get away without a hitch. No doubt she'll be listening in from a chalet somewhere as we negotiate the slopes and moguls of the Dutch political scene. So Paul, are you likely to get away skiing at all in the, during the winter? Uh, I've never <laughs> skied before in my life and I'm planning to keep it that way. Very good. Do you skate? Uh, I skate, yeah, I do. I okay. do. Yeah. Do you manage to stay upright? <laughs> yeah, I can. I okay, can. So I'm a pretty good uh, ice skater. All right, so maybe you should be in the uh, El Stadentop <laughs> next year. <laughs> no, no, I plan not to do that. <laughs> uh, okay. Now, in a few minutes, we'll be discussing why the smaller parties in Dutch politics could have a big say in forming the next government. But first, to look back at the week's news, which was dominated by technology, which turns out to be a pain in the neck if you're voting or catching a plane, but absolutely brilliant if you happen to be an orangutan. Our top story uh, this week, Interior Minister Ronald Plasterk announced on Wednesday in a letter to Parliament that all ballots for the upcoming elections in March will be counted by hand to make sure, quote, the results are the results. This comes after RTL News reported earlier this week that the election computer system is disturbingly easy to hack. Since the cabinet had reasons to believe that, quote, certain foreign actors might be interested in interfering, Plastec decided voting will be done in the old-fashioned way as a precautionary measure to ensure confidence in the results. The actual voting is already done with red pencils on paper ballots after voting machines were considered to be unsafe in 2007. Now processing and counting ballots will be fully done by hand as well. This may mean that the final election results might take days to be announced rather than the night after election day. So is this kind of a response to the concerns they had in America about the uh, the election, uh, where there were allegations that there had been interference from foreign countries? Yes, actually actually it is, and, and it's rumoured that uh, Bostek had uh, uh, conversations and talks with, uh, with uh, intelligence agencies in Germany and in France as well, and uh, uh, so based on these talks and based on their concerns, uh, they, they just decided to, to do everything on paper. Yeah, and when we say foreign actors, we really sort of look at one country in particular, aren't we? Yeah, Russia. <laughs> Russia, yeah. Exactly. And um, uh, so in 2007, the voting machines were, were considered to be unsafe. And now even the computers that are, you know, uh, processing the, the election mm. uh, results are also not, not safe. So uh, it's, it's a mess. But uh, these computers are run on Windows XP, for example. Uh-huh. So uh, our laptops here are probably safer than, than the Indeed. equipment they use in the elections. Indeed. Old-fashioned paper and pencils, still a reliable technology. Yes. Yes, yeah. I'm sure. Now, 31 parties have submitted lists of candidates for the election on March 15th. It means that 50 of the 81 parties who registered to take part failed to meet the criteria set by the Electoral Council. New parties had to collect 580 signatures and pay a deposit of €11,250 to secure their place on the ballot paper. The rules are introduced to try to curb the growing number of small parties in the Netherlands. If more than 32 parties had been eligible, the Electoral Council would have had to design new ballot paper, as the current one is too small to fit them all on. And when you look at the current ballot paper, it's already the size of a small bedsheet. So it's, it's, already, yeah, it's already huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many choices. Indeed. <laughs> An elderly Iranian couple who were stranded at Schiphol Airport for four days by Donald Trump's travel ban have been cleared to fly to the US. 
KLM said a special exception had been made for the couple who were on their way to visit their daughter, but it isn't clear why the US let them in. Four other Iranians who were also stuck at Schiphol on Sunday flew back to Tehran on Wednesday. President Trump signed an executive order at this weekend barring immigrants from seven Muslim-majority countries for 90 days and all refugees for 120 days. He later insisted it wasn't an outright ban, but quote, extreme vetting of travelers. Yeah, and uh, KLM have come with criticism about this, but the, the, their line is that they'll actually get hit with very, very heavy fines if they if, if they transport people who who are from these seven countries. Yeah, and actually the the terminal at JFK where these huge demonstrations were is actually operated by Schiphol, which in turn is owned by the Dutch state. So right. uh, there were a lot of questions yeah. uh, from, so from the, the public. Yeah, so in the end, the bill could come back to the Dutch government and. Uh, all of us. Yes. And also, uh, um, um, we can't call it a ban, according to the White House, even though the president <laughs> referred to it as a ban. Yeah, he screen. called it a ban on Twitter, didn't yeah, he? And yeah. then he spoke and said it wasn't a ban. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and uh, they said he was using the language of the media, <laughs> yeah, even, though, even though he hates the media. Yeah. <laughs> it's, very, it's very confusing. <laughs> it is. We're still getting used to the uh, Trump's way of working. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, staying at Schiphol, and there was chaos for tens of thousands of passengers uh, this week after the air traffic control system went down on Wednesday morning. The airport switched to a backup system, but dozens of flights were delayed for several hours or cancelled, while others had to be rerouted to other airports. The problem was fixed by mid-afternoon, but the delays continued into the evening. Some passengers were unable to travel till the next day, including our own Molly Quell, who described oh. the scene at the airport on Thursday morning. Here, here she is. I'm here at Schiphol, attempting to board my third flight in the past 24 hours. I was on my way to Geneva yesterday when, due to the air traffic controls uh, system problems, I was unable to get on my first flight. It was cancelled, my second flight was cancelled, and so I'm here bright and early on Thursday morning, attempting to get on a third flight. Uh, unsurprisingly, Schiphol was an unmitigated disaster yesterday. Uh, the KLM transfer desk line was supposed to approximately take five and a half hours to get through. After I sat at the airport for about five hours, I finally gave up and spent the evening with some friends in Amsterdam uh, before returning very, very early this morning to try to fly again. So things here seem to be uh, operating much better, so I'm hope, uh, optimistic that I'm going to uh, be able to board this flight. The Dutch Air Traffic Control Service, LVNL, said it was investigating the exact cause of the problem. Yeah, and uh, from here, good luck to Molly. We lost all contact with her, so we have no idea where she is. <laughs> so good luck to you, Molly. Yeah, and have fun. <laughs> the Appenhul Zoo in Appeldoorn is uh, starting a trial to let orangutans select a potential partner on touchscreens as part of an international breeding program, calling it Tinder for orangutans. According to the zoo's spokesperson, Thomas Bionda, it would be very useful to know if there is a spark between the primates before transporting one to the other side of the world, which could drastically reduce reduce expenses. According to the zoo, the main challenge is to develop a touchscreen that is strong enough to handle the orangutan's heavy-handed swiping. My issue with this is how, how, how can we be sure that the pictures um, that the orangutan see on the screen is actually the orangutan that they're going to meet? <laughs> that is not that's, that's a problem with real twinders. Yeah, that is not catfishing, or in this case orangutan fishing. <laughs> Uh, skating news now, because on Wednesday the alternative Elfstedertocht was won by 27-year-old Crispine Ariens from North Brabant. The 200km ice skating marathon in Austria stands in for the more famous Elfstedertocht in Friesland when the ice isn't thick enough, which is most years. The alternative one is held on the Weissensee. The real Elfstedertocht requires a minimum of 15cm ice thickness along the entire 200km route, which is why it's only been held 15 times since it began in 1909. The women's race in Austria saw a dramatic finish when Elmar de Vries fell just 20 metres from the line just after taking the lead and watched three other skaters pass her by before she could get up. 
The race was actually won by Lisa van der Geest. And if you watch the footage on that, it's absolutely agonising. You actually see she's got a complete clear run to the finish. There's nothing to stop her, and she just stumbles. Yes. And she goes, and then she has to lie there on the ice and watch three other women just zip yeah, past her. a very dramatic ending. <laughs> we had to wait for six hours for a dramatic uh, moment, but, uh, but we had one. Imagine skating for 200 kilometers and then slipping at the end. Yeah, that's, oh, that's agonizing. terrible. And we take uh, the Alfstede Tocht in this country uh, very seriously, as we know. The moment the, uh, the, the temperature uh, goes below freezing, uh, everyone gets excited, or at least everyone except me. <laughs> and if you completed the Alfstede Tocht, you receive a little medal. Mm. And that medal is, uh, is officially recognized as an official distinction. And when the king was inaugurated in 2013, he was wearing not only his um, uh, uh, Grand Cross of the Order of the Netherlands Lion, but he was also wearing his Elfstede Tocht Kruisje because he, he, he completed the Elfstede Tocht in 1997. Wow, that's amazing. A student team from Technical University of Delft won first place in the best overall design and performance category at the Hyperloop race in California on Monday, leaving teams from prestigious universities as MIT behind them. The design competition was organized by PayPal, Tesla and SpaceX founder Elon Musk, who also developed the Hyperloop concept. The Hyperloop is a proposed mode of passenger and freight transportation that propels a pod-like vehicle through a near vacuum tube at more than the speed of an airplane. The Delft team's prototype went through the 1.5km test tube with a 19km top speed, but the ultimate goal is to have the Hyperloop reach a speed of over 1200km an hour. <coughs> Which is pretty pretty dizzying stuff. You imagine what the countryside is going to look like when you zip uh, and It's that. fully enclosed, so there, there are no windows. It's, uh, it's, all, it's like the Channel Tunnel. <laughs> Right, yeah, so take a good book. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wonder if the, if the NS's Wi-Fi connection will stand up to that, <laughs> that kind of duress. Yeah, the, the NS Wi-Fi connection is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so some discussion now. As we heard earlier, more than 30 parties are still in the running to fight the election on March 15th. We'll get the final list from the Electoral Council on Friday afternoon. Perhaps more remarkably, around half that number have a chance of winning seats in Parliament. At the last election, the 150 seats were shared between no fewer than 12 parties including the Animal Rights Party, PVDD, the Pensioners Party, 50+, and the Testimonial Party, the SKP, which believes Dutch law should be based on the teachings of the Bible. Among those aspiring to join them this time around are the Pirate Party, the Women's Party, and the Neat Stemmers, the non-voters. It'd be interesting to see what happens if they win a seat. <laughs> so we thought we'd focus today on the smaller players in the election race and what role they might play in forming a government. So, first of all, Paul, just uh, what are some of the minor parties that we're likely to see appearing in Parliament uh, after the election? Um, well, the, the minor parties that we have in Parliament right now is, for example, the SGP, that's the Dutch Reformist Party, a very religious party. Uh, they are very conservative, very religiously conservative. Uh, they oppose uh, um, gay marriage. They, in, within their party, women's, women don't even have rights to vote, or uh, they changed it only recently. They, they, they went through a long, uh, long court battle, didn't they? Okay, so they? They tried to fight for their right to basically stop women from either... Uh, being members or standing for election? And well, well, they, uh, they actually allowed uh, women to be a member of the party mm. for uh, electoral uh, purposes. That's <laughs> why they allowed the women's vote as well. Um, but within that party, w women couldn't vote on anything. So not on motions, not on amendments, whatever. But yeah. they had to change that. They were forced to do that. Otherwise, they would lose uh, all their fundings. That's true. Uh, interestingly enough, they're very stable in parliament. They are, are 
they always have two or three seats in parliament for the past decades. So it, it is a very stable party, though. Yeah, and, and it's often a surprise, I think, to people who, who arrive in the Netherlands to discover the Bible Belt. You tend not to know about it until you get here, and then you discover that you know, within 100 miles of Amsterdam there are communities where you know, parents won't let their children be vaccinated because it's against the word of God. But who are the kind of typical SGP voters? Uh, the SGP voters typically are um, uh, Protestants. Uh, the, this branch of the Protestant faith is called the Dutch Reformists, um, uh, and they typically uh, vote for the SGP. Indeed, they live in the Bible Belt. It is this diagonal line that runs from Zeeland to uh, to to Friesland, uh, to Groningen, and uh, uh, in these villages, they are namely villages. Uh, uh, you can't do anything on Sunday. So, so whenever you try to go to a bakery or a supermarket, they are just closed. Yeah, and 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 they still wear the black stockings to church. The yes, yes, that, that's that's how uh, indeed that's how everyone refers to them who is not part of their community. And then there's also the, um, the, the another Christian group in Parliament, the the Christian Union. Yes, the Christian Union. That's a merger between some. I think it was three uh, Christian parties, also predominantly Protestant. Um, and they merged together uh, to form, in, I think it was in 2002. Yeah, and, uh, and they, they still seem to pitch themselves as a slightly more, maybe within that context, a slightly more progressive party and a more sort of, uh, maybe a party that's more geared towards young voters or at least young families. And uh, uh, they are less religiously conservative. You, mm. you, you, can, you can profile them like that. Yeah, yeah. And then the other surprise of Dutch politics, uh, I suppose, is the Pefe de Day, the, the Animal Rights Party. They, they've now been in Parliament for, for 10 years. They've yes. got seats at the last three elections. And in the polls, it suggests that they could even get uh, three or four seats this time around. So everybody thought it was a gimmick when they first got into Parliament in 2006. But they managed to win seats at three elections now. And the latest polls suggest they could get three or four this time around. So how have they uh, evolved to ha have that staying power in Parliament? Uh, when you when you tell uh, foreigners that we have an animal party, they are absolutely mesmerized that we even have such a thing. Um, uh, indeed, it, it first started as a uh, one-issue party, uh, but they now evolved from this one-issue party to uh, they they have a uh, 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 they have, for example, a scientific uh, agency connected to their party. They are really trying to to become a more traditional party. A lot of people think organic um, farming is very very uh, important. They are very environmentally concerned, and this is a party that really um, uh, fits and really connects with these people. So, uh, the emerging emerging from a one-issue party to a more serious party that that really pays pays off for them. Yeah, because they've got a much broader program now, haven't they? I mean, they, they've talked about things like. Uh um, uh, introducing minimum incomes and um, uh, they, they've got policies about uh, um, uh, subsidizing student rents again and uh, reintroducing um, bursaries rather than student loans. So, <coughs> Indeed, um, so then you can say that they are one issue party, even though their name really suggests that they are. does very strongly, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, and of course, their, their leader, Mariana Tima, is quite high profile. Isn't she? There's always the talk about what hat she's going to wear at the um, yeah, 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 inauguration. Yeah. She, she always makes a statement, I believe, her latest. Uh, uh, yeah, what was she wearing? I, I, I don't. I, I remember her um, her carrots outfit. She had a. She was she was dressed as a soldier with the um, uh, ammunition uh, made out of carrots, I believe, around her around her waist. So. Yeah, it always always plays well. Yeah, 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 indeed. Yeah, indeed. And um, which other um, parties might we see that aren't in Parliament at the moment? Uh, uh, well, we have a fifty plus in Parliament. Actually, we have two because. 
they split off. Um, that's also a one-issue party. They really focus on pensions. Interestingly enough, their leader, Henk Kroll, um, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, is known uh, not to pay pensions for his employees when he was the editor-in-chief of Geekrant. So I don't think it's a very wise thing to have such a man as your leader uh, when the only thing you're focusing on is pensions and you have a guy who doesn't pay pensions. Yeah. It hasn't hurt them, has it? Because he's, uh, the latest poll suggests they could get eight, eight nine or even maybe ten seats. Uh, yeah, it doesn't hurt him in, 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 in the polls right now, but uh, we have to remember that he has been uh, dismissed from the party two times now based <laughs> on this. So, uh, um, yeah, he's like a phoenix. He rises from, uh, from, from the ashes. So. Yeah. What was interesting here is that um, we have a proportional representation voting system in the Netherlands, and uh, that you have that in other European countries as well. But a lot of countries like Germany, say, have a threshold where you can't get into Parliament if you don't get at least 5% of the vote, whereas here in the Netherlands uh, you, you get into Parliament if you have enough votes for one seat, which is in practice is about somewhere between 50 and 60,000. So is, is there any great call in, um, in Dutch politics uh, to impose some kind of um, bottom limit to, well, to, to restrict the number of parties? Well, the call for a threshold um, uh, is growing now <laughs> since, uh, uh, yeah, since all these parties are splintering and they will uh, get one or two seats in Parliament. So uh, uh, the larger parties are now calling for a threshold. Uh, because they, of course, see their seats uh, go away to these smaller parties, which will not end up in a coalition. So the the call for a threshold is growing. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen soon, because it basically means that we have to change the uh, uh, the constitution uh, mm -hmm. on on multiple uh, uh, levels. So I I don't know if it's going to happen, but um, the, the the call is there. Uh, uh, but for example, we talked about the SGP. Yeah, they have a stable uh, base in Parliament of two, three seats. Mm. But if there is a threshold for f for like five seats or something, mm. that party will have to leave as well. Even though that one has been in Parliament for what is it, almost one hundred years. So yeah. would that be fair? Indeed, yes. I suppose it, it, perhaps it's, uh, it, it's something to do as well with the um, uh, with the democratic culture in the Netherlands. It's always been a country of uh, minority groups working together in coalition. Yeah. Rather than in other countries where you tend to see one or two big parties um, fighting it out to s for who dominates. Yes. Yeah. We've definitely seen in the last 20 years a lot of parties splitting off from other parties. Why do we see parties dividing um, rather than merging in Dutch politics? Well, in the last few years, we've seen a lot of splittings, but we don't have to forget that there are a lot of mergers as well. For example, the CDA, they, they, this is a, that's a merger between three Christian parties. Uh, they have merged in 1980, and since then, since their very existence, they have been in a coalition, in a government, two-thirds of their existence. So that's a very successful merger. And also uh, ChristenUnie, we discussed it, is also a merger. They have been in a coalition as well, so also a very successful uh, merger. Uh, and we have GroenLinks, which is also a merger of, uh, of, of, of a couple of parties in the 1980s, and they are now projected for uh, 15 seats. So, yeah, we, we have, we've had seen a lot of mergers, so, yeah. and, mm. and that, can all, all, that can still happen. So there, is, there, there has only has been recently a call for a merger between the PvdA and the GroenLinks in Parliament. So. Yeah. Yes, and, and, and I believe the Socialist Party came out this week as well, and they un underscored that call to have uh, for some kind of merger or uh, cooperation uh, by the parties on the left. Yeah, and we have a lot of cooperation as well. That's not, you know, 
that's not strictly speaking a fusion or a merger no. but there is a lot of uh, cooperation as well and SPA actually is a split party of a split party because uh, they are a split party of the com Dutch communist Leninist market Marxist Maoist party <laughs> which in itself is another sp split of the uh, 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 Dutch communist party yeah. so um, <coughs> A lot of splitting. Yeah, there's certainly going to be some more shuffling of the deck chairs after the after the election. Yeah, but given when you look at the polls right now, you see that I mean, no party is likely to get much more than thirty seats, and there's a lot of parties hovering around sort of somewhere between ten and fifteen, and it looks like we're going to have a coalition of four, five parties is quite likely. But when you look at the makeup of the Dutch political scene now, and you see an increasing number of splinter groups, and particularly. Parties like Denk and 50 Plus, who are tar very much targeting one particular um, uh, section within society, you have to think it's uh, it's going to make the business of actually form putting a coalition together when everyone's defending the um, uh, the rights of uh, of their own little group um, much much harder when they actually come to form the government after March 15th. Yes, um, well, here in the Netherlands, we are used to coalitions. Uh, usually, uh, 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 when the elections are over, everyone will start negotiating. Um, we are used to that, so everyone, I think, ha just has to have an open, open, uh, yeah, has to start the negotiations open-minded, and then eventually a coalition will form. Um, the prospect right now, if we're looking at the polls, would be a uh, coalition of perhaps five, four, five, maybe six uh, 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 parties. But that's not unprecedented. We have seen coalitions of four or five parties. Uh, we are used to smaller coalitions of two, maybe three parties, but uh, larger coalitions have happened before. So it is yeah. possible. Yes, yeah, so we know a lot of horse trading anyway. In the, in the yeah, horse talks. trading is, uh, <laughs> is a perfect word yeah. for that. Especially if the Partei van der Dieren are involved. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, and the uh, uh, last coalition, literally it was a horse mm. trade. It was not, they weren't trying to make one um, uh, uh, a coherent uh, strategy or something they just cherry-picked some 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 uh, proposals and some uh, policies from yeah. from the different parties yeah because that's going to be much harder to do if you've got four or five parties in the mix and I suppose in the end it gives potentially gives a party that might have two seats so not much more than a hundred thousand votes uh, a lot of power and leverage in um, uh, deciding the um, the program for the next four years of government yes and <laughs> I think we're really uh, 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 our aim is to break the record of the of, of Belgium of, uh, of the longest <laughs> period without a government so uh, we're really aiming for that and I'm sure we're gonna make it I think we gearing up for it quite well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all that we have for you this week. Uh, this podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. Uh, my thanks again to Paul Baters. I'm Gordon Darach, and we'll be back next week.